Well, one of those songs is not like the other, right? I don't know if you caught on to that. That last song that we just sang, you're thinking that's not really a Christmas song. So why are we singing that one? And that's one of the joys of, of preaching is that I get to help change the songs a little bit. <laughs> I changed uh, so that we could use that one this morning. But also one of the joys of preaching is that what's being sung, I know why we're singing it. Because <laughs> I know where we're going to go in the text here this morning. And it's a joy to be able to sing these. And I try not to sing too loud so I lose, don't lose my voice um, as we approach the word this morning. How many of you like to sing? All right, a lot of you, good. How many of you like to sing the ancient art of karaoke? Anyone? Okay, there's one, two, okay, a couple of you out there. How many of you like to sing, we can't, our list kind of gets narrower and narrower. How many of you would want to sing, come up here, sing a solo, but the trick is it would have to be a brand new song that has never been sung before? None. Okay, we're down to zero. That's what I thought. And not only does it have to be a brand new song, but it also has the melody has to be brand new, and you also have to use scripture references in your song, quoting other passages from the Old Testament and even some from the New in order to bring that into your song. Now we're into negative people. People are walking out. No, not really. (laughs) It's like, don't make me do this. Do you guys know some kids who can sing at the drop of a hat? and they sing about anything and everything. Um, you're, you just wonder how are they singing about popsicles or um, walking or anything, just random things, whatever they're doing, they just come up with a song, weirdest melody, but yet it's just wonderful and adorable all at the same time. We're going to look in this passage in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to find Mary singing. She's going to sing a new song. A song that has never been sung before. A song that is filled with scripture. Filled with references, if not direct quotes from scripture. Scripture that hasn't even been written yet, but she's singing about it. It's going to be a wonderful, and I hope, something that's very encouraging for you. I mean, I know about me, I wanted to get up here and sing with the Wagler family. I wanted to jump up there, because I remember that song from from the past, and I'm like, oh, I know it. I could just get up there too. If we didn't want to get up there and sing praises to God, there might be something wrong with us if we didn't like singing. I'm glad we're a singing church. That's good. But we're going to start in Luke chapter 1 to get the backdrop before we see what Mary sings. Let's look in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him a thr- the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful 
for singing. We're so thankful for the gift of song. Even if we don't have the best voice, it, singing just has a way of directing our attention to you, directing our hearts to you. Help us this morning to have a new song in our heart. Help us to have a desire to give you all of the glory, not to receive any for ourselves. Help us to rejoice in Christ this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, now appears to Mary, but after approaching Zechariah, we remember that he got a question back of disbelief. Now as he approaches Mary with more significant news, what's going to happen? What's Mary going to say? Remember, Zechariah just got the news that his wife would give birth in her old age, That wasn't new. We talked about that. He did that with Abraham many years ago that everybody knew about. This has been done before. It's rare. It's been done before, and yet Zachariah didn't believe. Now, Mary gets the news that she's going to have a child, and she's going to conceive this child without ever having known a man. This is out-of-this-world type of news. This is something that has never been done before and will never be done again. And yet Mary responds in verse 34 with a question of belief, fully believing that God is capable of doing this, something that has never been heard of. Her question was just wondering, how is this going to happen? Question of, okay, I believe it's going to happen. I I would love to know how. She says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And then verse 35, let's look at that together. Here's how the angel responds. This is tremendous. We need to remember that Mary is about 14 years old, okay, young teenager, and here's how the angel responds to her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Wow, that is a doctrinally rich and loaded answer for a young teenager to understand. He gives her the doctrine of the Trinity. He gives her the doctrine of the incarnation all in one sentence. We're gonna see as God is approaching Mary that he lifts the humble. Mary is just a young, humble girl who is a servant of the Lord and God is gonna lift her up to be the one who will carry the Messiah, who will be the mother of Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 10, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. So we have God the Father and God the Holy Spirit that prepares a body for Jesus the Son to have. This is how it was to be. And this doctrine of the Trinity that he lays out for her, it's very complex. It's very difficult to understand. I don't know if you know how familiar this is. You probably walk by it more times than you think. But we have this poster hanging up on the wall just before you enter the gymnasium. I'm not going to ask how many of you knew that was there because it's been there for about five, ten years. But it's a wonderful thing. I encourage you to go look at it. If the doctrine of the Trinity is something unfamiliar to you, to go look through and say that there's only one God, three persons co-equal to God, co-eternal. They are all God, but yet they are three divine persons. Father is not God the Son. God the Son is not God the Holy Spirit. They're all fully God. It's tremendous. 
tremendous truth that this angel brings this to Mary. He says to her, he says, the one who has created all things, the one who is the image of the invisible God, he is the firstborn of all creation. He's telling Mary this. This is in Colossians later. This is basically what the angel is saying. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Speaking of this Jesus, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, is now going to be in your womb. (laughs) I saw a picture on Facebook just the other day. that had a picture of Jesus saying, phenomenal cosmic power. And then a picture of Jesus inside Mary's womb saying, itty bitty living space. (laughs) This God is now going to be dwelling in Mary's womb. (laughs) Do you think that that is beyond the capability of any human mind to understand? The ones who even have been studying scriptures and know it so well, those of us who have dove in deep into maybe the Greek and the Hebrew, and we've studied those languages and we've learned all that we can learn, do you think that we can fully comprehend that God could dwell inside of Mary? The fullness of God. And just with a simple sentence in verse 37, the angel explains to Mary how this could happen. That this God... Jesus, the one who created all things, how could she be carrying him? Verse 37 says, for nothing is impossible with God. Did you hear that? (laughs) Nothing is impossible with God. As much as we try to wrap our minds around the impossible, there are times that we think that maybe if I can't fully understand it, then it can't be true. Or it can't happen because I don't get it. We need to say to ourselves over and over again that if God's word says it and I don't understand it, nothing is impossible with God. Believe his word. Mary believed his word. She was probably wondering, how can this be? How is this even possible? And he says, nothing is impossible with God. What a wonderful lesson for all of us. When we come before the word of God, being seen, looking at truths that we might not fully understand, and we need to say, nothing is impossible with God. And look at Mary's response after Gabriel laying out this immense truth of the trinity of the incarnation. Nothing is impossible with God, and Mary responds in a way that we should all respond Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Anything less than that would have been disobedient. She said, you know what? Maybe not. That sounds too big for me to handle. Would have been disobedient in her thinking and disbelief. How do you typically respond when you hear the word of God? When it is declared to you from this here pulpit, from the word of God being preached to you, when it is declared to you in your ABF, when the word of God is declared to you from Wednesday night studies, 
from when you open the Bible in your bedroom in the morning or at night or whenever you take time for the word of God, when your word is open and God says, thus saith the Lord, how do you respond? Do you respond with, I'll think about it. Maybe not this week, I'm kind of busy. Or do you respond, let it be to me. I am just a servant of the Lord. When we walk away from church, do we respond with, oh, that was just a nice sermon? Or do we respond with, let's go. (laughs) I need to apply what was just being said. This is why what we're doing on Sunday nights, I believe, is really important as we take time from the sermon, from the morning, and touch on the areas that we need to apply. We take time to more figure out, because you're just hearing this for the first time. All right? So this is brand new to you. So it takes time to start thinking, okay, how is this going to work out in my life? How do I need to let it be to me according to your word? If I am a servant of the Lord, how should I be applying it? So I love taking time in order to do that. Now we have a little sidebar before we get to Mary's song, which we're going to spend most of our morning. But here we have Mary coming to visit Elizabeth. Now with Mary visiting Elizabeth, this is a little side note, if you will, a mini soapbox. We find that the child in the womb inside of Elizabeth, after hearing the voice of Mary, leaps in her mother's womb Because the baby inside of Elizabeth recognizes that the baby inside of Mary is the Savior. Life is there. They are able to recognize, John the Baptist able to recognize Jesus. The baby leaped for joy. What a tremendous truth there as God's word speaks to the life that is inside in the mother's womb. Now we get to Mary and what she says. Visited with the angel says, you are going to carry the Messiah. You are going to be the mother of the Messiah. God is going to be doing a wonderful thing through Mary, and Mary can't help but just turn and praise God. Couldn't help but just sing praises to him. And we sing praises all the time, but how many times do we sing just because we love him, right? We just want to get up and sing, not because uh, that's what we do on a Sunday morning, but we sing because we just can't help but praise our awesome God. And that's where we find Mary this morning. The humble then magnifies God. If you are humble, when you see great things God is doing in your life, you are not going to be able to help it than to just sing praises to him. I saw this quote in one of the commentaries I was reading this week from Stephen Charnock. He was a Puritan. He says, we may be truly said to worship God, though we lack perfection. I'm not going to have you raise your hands of those of you who cannot carry a tune. But we cannot be said to worship him if we lack sincerity. Do we sing? Do we praise God with our whole being because of the wonderful things that he has done? And we're going to see that the humble magnifies God, and we're going to see Mary magnifying God of telling of what he has done for her. So let's look down at verses 46, and we'll read through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. 
My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. When Mary recognizes that God has looked on her with favor and that she will be called blessed, what does Mary do? She magnifies God. She points her attention to God. She's not hoping that people are going to start praising her. She's not hoping that people are going to start to think that she is perfect. And we know this because she gives the reason why generations are going to call her blessed. It's because she was not perfect. It's because she had sin. The reason, because she says in verse 47, she rejoices in God, her Savior. She's rejoicing because she needs a Savior. Why does a perfect person need a Savior? If you've done all things right your entire life, you don't need to be saved. This is like, be like Jesus calling God his Savior, which he doesn't do because Jesus is the Savior. And then also that would mean that Romans 3.10, no one is righteous. Chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned. Romans 5.12, death spread to all men because all sinned. That all those verses would be wrong if this meant that that Mary was a perfect person. But in verse 28, when she was greeted as, oh, favored one, you would really have to stretch things to mean that that means that she was born without sin. Because we know very little about the life of Mary leading up to this moment. And to know that the Bible never specifically says that she was without sin. This phrase, O favored one, is to put Mary at ease. It would be like your boss showing up at your doorstep when you're not expecting him. Open the door, you're thinking, oh no, what did I do? But the boss starts out by saying, don't worry, you're doing great. (laughs) Everything's good, you're doing well. Starting out, does that mean you've never done anything wrong at your job ever? No. just means they want to put you at ease, saying, don't worry, everything's good, you're, it's fine. The, Mary is, uh, the angel is approaching a 14-year-old girl. He starts out by saying, oh, favored one, the, the, the Lord is with you, don't worry. This is going to be good news. You don't need to fear. Yet Mary still was a little afraid being approached by an angel, as we would all would be. So Mary's chief purpose here is not to bring glory for herself. Chief purpose is to magnify the Lord. And it's very reminiscent. Here we see this first reference to 1 Samuel chapter 2. You don't need to turn there. This is the story of Hannah. Hannah was barren. The Lord had chosen to close her womb. And much like what happened with Elizabeth. And she prays and prays and prays in deep and distressed type of prayers said she looked like a crazy person, how deeply she was praying for a child. 
God eventually opened up her womb, and this is what Hannah says. My heart exalts, my heart magnifies, exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. We see Mary bringing this account to mind. The scripture that has not been written yet, yet we still see Mary applying it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What a tremendous example. Her heart has just been filled with such joy. She's going to be the mother of Jesus, the son of the Most High. She can't help but sing. She can't help but praise God because she is so thankful. When God does amazing things for us, we must praise him. And we praise him out of humility because we don't deserve any good things from God. We don't. There was only one good person and his name is Jesus. The rest of us, we have sin. We are deserving of eternity in hell. We don't deserve good things. So if God gives us this good thing in Jesus, we have to praise. We have to praise him. We praise him because he has done the great thing. There might be things in your life that don't go your way. Remember that there's always a reason to magnify God because he sent Jesus. There might be family members that are giving you a hard time about why you're not spending as much time with them around Christmas. Remember, there's always a reason to magnify God because he sent Jesus. There might be sickness or death. Remember that there's always a reason to magnify God because he sent Jesus who conquered over death. You will never have a good reason in your life that will be a good excuse to not praise and magnify your God. Because he sent Jesus to this earth, and through Jesus, you can have a restored relationship with him. For he who is mighty has done great things, and holy is his name. I'm not saying that there are some times that are more difficult than others to magnify God, but I am saying that ye citizens of heaven above, we never have a good reason not to praise our God. We always, to say it a different way, we always have a good reason to praise him because of Jesus. And so we sing. And so Mary continues to sing a new song, even quoting and referencing other scriptures. In Psalm 98.1, I don't have this up here for you. Psalm 98.1, it says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand, as we see this passage as well, referencing that, his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. What a wonderful thing it is to sing a new song. This is a new song that Mary sang. Think of all the new songs that are in Scripture. Each time there was a new psalm that was written, that was a new song. (laughs) I heard a pastor say, if your church isn't singing new songs, you're not a biblical church. (laughs) Because we're exhorted over and over again in Scripture to sing a new song. And why wouldn't we? 
why wouldn't we want to use the creativity that God has blessed us with to create new phrases, to create new melodies in which we praise our God? Why wouldn't we want to do that? To create something, a new song that has never been heard before in the history of man, that we could write a song, that we could sing a new song that praises our God in a different way, how wonderful, how miraculous that would be, how marvelous would that be. Let's sing new songs together. In this passage, we also see of Mary telling of what God is going to do for others from generation to generation. And there's really two things in here that he's going to have happen. One, Jesus is going to scatter the proud, bring down the mighty, and send the rich away empty. And this is a common theme that we see throughout Scripture and throughout Jesus' life. If you recount who Jesus consistently tried to humble, right? It was the Pharisees. It was the Sadducees, it was those who were in high position, who thought they had it all put together. He desired to humble them. That rich young ruler who said, I did everything right. Not only did I do everything right, but I'm obeying all the commands. What else do I need to do to follow you? And Jesus said, get rid of all that you have. Sent the rich away empty. He was sad because he had a lot. The person that you think had it all, they wanted a little bit more. I'll just add a little Jesus on top of it. But we know in James 4, 6 that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is no secret. But yet it is something that we need to be reminded of daily. It's not just the one-time humbling that happens when we come to know Jesus. This is a daily reminder that each believer needs to have, that we are not God Only he is God. He is the one who has done good things. We need to direct our attention to him. We need to be humble so that we exalt God. And number two, we see Jesus will fill the hungry. They will feed the hungry with good things. They will help his servant. He will exalt the humble there in the following verses. And this is the ministry of Jesus. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God shows off the strength of his arm by using the weak, by using the lowly, the humble, the hungry, The ones who do great things solely because God does the work in them. And don't you want to make that clear to people? If somebody says, you did a great job, thank you, don't you want to turn their attention to God? And say, that's encouraging, but praise goes to the Lord because he has done good things for me. It makes it plain and clear to the viewer that there must be a God when he uses the foolish, the weak, the despised, the hungry, those who are low, and he lifts them up. Even by scattering the proud and bringing down the mighty, God doesn't just do that out of spite. Once the proud are humbled, then what does he say that he does for the humble? Don't you think that God just 
brings them down. Don't think that he just brings them down just to take them down a notch. God humbles those who are proud so that they can see their need for Christ, so that he can then lift them up again. What a good God we have who is willing to do that. And who are the lowly? The lowly, those who are down and out, it's those who have no hope. Those in the humble state in that cultural system that's in front of them, there's no room for advancement. There's no shark tank that they could pitch their ideas and then be millionaires. You start out low, you're going to end up low. The hungry, all they could hope for in their begging is just to get enough food to keep on living. And now we see through Jesus that those who are hungry, those who are humble, that they will be exalted. They will be lifted up. That they will be able to have a relationship with the king of kings. God has not forgotten them. When he sends Jesus to these lowly people, it's going to be very clear that God knows them, that God loves them, and God can save them. This good news is for everyone. Now, you might be here thinking, not for me. (laughs) You don't know what I've done. You don't know what sins I've committed. I've had a teen say that to me in years past. You don't know what sins I've committed. There's no way God could save me. I doubt that teen is alone in that thinking. Jesus came to save those, to save those who are low, save those who are the worst of sinners. Jesus came to save you. He came specifically for you. Don't think that you've committed a sin that is beyond the capability of Jesus to save. That's who he came for. And you might be here, maybe you're thinking, I don't need this Jesus. I'm good. I'm doing all right. Life is fine for me. I don't need him. We see in this passage that Jesus came for you as well. He came and he wants to bring you low. He wants you to see the depths of your sin. He wants to bring down and scatter the proud. He wants to break those who are high and lifted up. He wants to bring you down and he wants to bring you down so that you can see your need for him. I encourage you, if you don't know him today, this is a wonderful savior. He is good. He came to seek and save the lost. And if you don't know him, I encourage you to come talk with me afterwards. I would love to chat with you. I'll be up here at the front. Speaking of his servant Israel, he hasn't forgotten him as, them as well, verse 54. In Isaiah chapter 41, verses 9 and 10, see if this sounds familiar. Again, Mary drawing from Scripture. Isaiah 41, 9 and 10 says, You whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That verse 10 we know pretty, pretty well. Mary knew that she and her people hadn't heard anything for 400 years. They are in a place of despair. They are the lowly. And she says, God has helped his servant Israel in Jesus. And in Mary's song, we see a deep knowledge of the scriptures. And we also see great application of it. We can see why she is favored before the Lord. And it's not just because she's applying what she's knowing, right? 
It's not just because she knew scripture and now she's able to put it into a song. It's because she wants to magnify God because she loves God. She's rejoicing. He has done these great things. It's not just an organized song that she's going to put together in order to to, uh, use it in church someday. She just can't help but sing because she just loves God and is just overwhelmed with this news. So we have this humble person being exalted. We have the exalted being brought low. If you've seen the movie Inception, it's like about a dream within a dream within a dream. This is like humble exaltation inception here. We have God exalting the humble Mary. And then that humble Mary then exalting God by sharing how Jesus, who is exalted, is going to be humble and come as a man in lowly estate. And then he will one day be exalted and lifted up. And he came to exalt the lowly. And also he came to bring those who are high to bring them down, to humble them. Did you catch all that? (laughs) A lot of humbling, a lot of exalting going on. And after that wonderful song that is filled with this doctrinal truth, we need to remember that she just came, she just came across as I love God. God is great. Because we have these wonderful he has statements. If you look through that text again with me, he has, God has looked on my humble estate. God has done, he has done great things for me. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the mighty. He has exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry. He has helped Israel. Our great God loves us. He loves you. He has done something about it. He sent Jesus. As we sang that wonderful newer song, Receive the Glory, we sang not to us. It's not about us. It's about him that is going to receive the glory. Now, did we sing that because Kevin told us to? Or did we sing it out of the overflow of thankfulness and humility of what God has done through Jesus Christ? Do you have a reason to sing? Do you have a reason to sing this morning? Do you have a reason to lift your voices? If you do, I encourage you to sing. I don't care how you sound. Sing praises to our God. Sing in your heart, O come, let us adore him. Sing out loud, O come, let us adore him. Sing and tell your friends and family to sing. Let it out. Tell others what God has done. For he who is mighty has done great things for you and for me. And holy is his name. So that is why we sing. So Kevin, would you come? Instrumentalist, if you would come, let's stand and let's sing. Because he is worthy. Because he is awesome. Let's sing praises to our great God together.